Take your Bibles, please, and open to Ephesians 5. We'll read there in just a moment. Ephesians 5. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question. If I were to hand you a sheet of paper, blank paper, and ask you to define for me, for us, what is worship? What would you write down? What is worship? I'm sure many of us would arrive at the same definition, and I'm also sure that at some point in our definition, we would mention singing or music. Many of us probably by default start to define worship by music. But worship is more than just singing or music. For the Christian, worship is submission of the entirety of your life to the entirety of the Word of God. For the churchgoer, it's more than just the worship through music, but it's the reading of Scripture, it's prayer, it's proclamation, it's singing, it's the Lord's Supper, baptism, and so on. And our topic this morning is the element of worship in song. But I wanted to give the disclaimer, it's more than just singing, which is worship. But worship and song is a glorious part of worship, amen? These last 20, 25 minutes, I have had the joy to be one of you in the congregation, to be reminded of the joy of worship in song. And so this discussion this morning is not going to be more on the styles or preferences of worship and song or music, or even blacklisting or whitelisting certain types or certain groups, but I want us to focus on congregational worship through singing. And we're going to look at For the majority of our time, a couple of scripture passages, sister passages from the book of Ephesians, which we will read here in a second, but also in Colossians 3, right after we are done. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 20 say this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And then Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Lord, we rejoice again this morning that your gracious choice for us is to give you praise. So I ask, Lord, humbly that you would open our eyes to see the scriptures, and Lord, help us to be a people who understands what your word has for us and wants from us. Encourage us with the opportunities that we have to join together as the body of Christ in worshiping through song. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. I want to ask and answer three questions regarding worship in song this morning. Why, what, and how? Why should we sing? And for some of us, the answer is easy, because I like to sing and I can sing. For some others, it's not so easy. I can't sing, Pastor Dan. Are you kidding me? 
Why should we sing? Well, the focus of our motivation never is on our feelings or our abilities, but always in our obedience to the word of God. Letter A, we should sing in obedience to God. God has commanded us in his word to sing. In over 400 references to singing in the word of God, over 50 of those are in the imperative, a command for God's people to sing. For me, the the earliest and most primary command is in Exodus 15, where we see the song of Miriam, where she says, I will sing unto the Lord. And then she tells the people of Israel, sing to the Lord in Exodus 15, 21. David brings the ark into Jerusalem in 1 Chronicles 16, 9, and he commands his people, sing praises to the Lord. And we see throughout many of the Psalms, specifically the Davidic Psalms, Verses like this, Psalm 47, 6. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. Did you get the point? Four times in 13 words, sing, 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 sing. And even here in the New Testament, we have following the commands of being filled with the Spirit and letting the Word of Christ dwelling in you richly, the, the means to which follow those commands, singing and teaching admonishing, speaking to one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we have to start here, don't we? You are commanded, believer, to sing. It's an appropriate question probably for some of you. Why does God command me to sing if he did not make me a good singer? You ever ask yourself that? Have you ever uh, looked to the person next to you during congregational singing and said, what is coming out of their mouth right now? God knows exactly how he made you. God knows exactly what you sound like. And God wants you to sing. I'll insert the joke now where it's about a joyful noise, right? Instead of worrying about your performance or how you feel or how you're making other people around you feel, sing out in obedience to God's command, beloved. This is such a joyful time. And for those of you who can sing, sing out louder so the people next to you who can't are more comfortable. Sing out of obedience to God. Letter B, we should sing to express adoration for God. We should sing to express love for God, adoration to God. I don't have a particular verse for you here, but I'd ask you to turn to 2 Samuel 22 as an example of where we're going to go here. 2 Samuel 22 is pretty much the mirror image of Psalm 18, but we are to sing adoration for God, love for God in response to what he has done for us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loves us. And while you're turning there, let me just remind you in our world today, singing a love song to someone you love is not a foreign concept. In fact, we could probably list dozens upon dozens of love songs that just come to our mind. I sang to my wife a love song at our wedding reception. Some of you probably have sung to your wives in the past. Some of you probably have done that and your wife said, I appreciate the sentiment, but don't do that again. (laughs) Singing a love song is not a foreign concept, but we sing in response to the adoration of the person who has demonstrated their character to us and their love for us. In 2 Samuel 22, we see David at the beginning of the the song say, I will sing to the Lord. And and if you go to verse number 50, he, he concludes his song by saying, because of this, for this, everything I have just said, I will sing praises to your name. 
And then the verses in between give the reasons why he will sing. Just look at verses 2 and 3. What does David reveal about the God that he knows? God is his rock. God is his fortress. God is his deliverer. God is his shield, the horn of his salvation, his stronghold, his refuge, his savior. You go through the entirety of David's psalms and you see this pattern repeated over and over. God is this. He has demonstrated his character and his love and his mercy to me. Therefore, I will sing his praises. He adores the God who has revealed himself to him. David says, how can I keep from singing in response to what God has done? And this is all before the revelation and the culmination of the gospel through Jesus Christ. This is David before he's even heard of or seen Jesus the Christ. Don't have to turn there, but let me read for you the song of heaven in Revelation 5, 9. The elders and the angels, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. Speaking of Christ here. For you, Christ, were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people in nation. If the redeeming work of Christ is the song of heaven, how can it not be the expression of the church's love and adoration for their God now? This is a time for us through the affection of our love for God to express adoration to him for what he has done for you. A tremendous opportunity. Sing to express love and adoration for God. Letter C, we should sing to express the community of the body of Christ. We could turn here to 1 Corinthians 12 and explain this metaphor of being the body of Christ, being baptized into the body of Christ. But think of this with me. About a month ago, my, my sons and I got to go to a, a baseball game in the Detroit Tigers Stadium. It wasn't that great of a game. It was the Detroit Tigers and the Kansas City Royals. So I'm sorry if those are your favorite teams. But we got to go to a baseball game. And if you've been to a baseball game, you know something always happens in the seventh inning, right? You stretch, and then what do you do? You sing. Take me out to the ball game. And it's amazing how many people who can't sing, sing, take me out to the ball game. One of my sons looked up at me and said, Dad, they sing that here too. Because they've heard it sung at the Twins game. And I said to my son, yeah, it's, it's just something that baseball fans do. That's, that's true. It is an expression of community to sing together. And when we gather together on Sundays for worship, we as the body of Christ unite our hearts our minds and our voices in singing around the word of God to demonstrate the unity of the community of those who have been reconciled by God into Jesus Christ. And it is a beautiful expression of community. Perhaps nothing we do in corporate worship expresses the community better than 500 voices singing a cappella, my hope is in the Lord, and now for me he stands. Or singing in four-part harmony. We're all different individually, different stories, different backgrounds. We come together as the body of Christ in this unified expression of community in song. Sing to express the community of the body of Christ. Back to Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5. We should sing, letter D, to disciple one another. 
we should sing, speaking to one another, we should sing, teaching and admonishing one another. Sing to disciple one another. The the scripture makes it clear that God intends music to have a spiritual benefit for the hearer. Colossians 3.16 especially makes this clear. The, The means for this expression of worship is teaching and admonishing through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll get to that in a moment. Week after week, we sing songs as a church, and over time, the theology sticks with us. You may have remembered a couple months ago, Pastor Chris Anderson coming in and and teaching us this very thing. Song time for the church is discipleship time for the church. We catechize one another, we disciple one another through the singing of our theology. I'm not minimizing the preaching of the Word of God, but I'm maximizing the power of song to shape our minds, to shape our imaginations, to shape our theology. And what we do here is important. The people next to you need to hear you sing and know that you believe it. They need to hear you sing because you're discipling one another. So why should we sing? We sing in obedience to God, to express adoration for God, to express the community of the body of Christ, and to form and shape disciples of one another. Secondly, what should we sing? And again, not a uh, diatribe or a soapbox here of what we should not, or styles or preferences or instrumentation, but let's just look at what the scriptures say here. You saw in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 a, a similar list. We are to speak to one another in, we are in wisdom, teach and admonish one another in what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual song. What do we make of this? I don't see this so much as an exhaustive list that the Apostle Paul is telling us we have to do. It's repeated both in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5. I think this is more of an imperative that what we sing should be Bible-centered and Bible-saturated. The word psalm quite literally means the divine scripture, the inscripturated psalms. The church is to sing the psalms. Do we sing the psalms? We do. Sometimes we sing very specific metrical arrangements of the psalms and paraphrases. Sometimes it might be a hymn that for years you've sung and you don't realize it's based on a psalm. For example, Psalm 103 is the hymn that we're going to sing at the end of this service tonight. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. It's based off of Psalm 103. So we are to sing psalms. What is a hymn? You ever wondered what's the difference between a hymn and a spiritual song? Well, not an authoritative answer, but usually a hymn would be that which is defined as that which gives honor and thanksgiving and praise specifically in addressing God himself. When we sing to God, that's usually what we call a hymn. What would be an example of that in our church? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. That is a hymn. What about a spiritual song? Well, it's a song that doesn't specifically address God or addressed toward God, but it speaks about a biblical theme, a a doctrine that is developed, such as salvation, joy, thankfulness, There's a lot of these, right? I wrote down here, come behold the wondrous mystery. Great example of a spiritual song. But 
I'm not convinced Paul is listing these to, to intentionally create distinctions in our musical content. But again, to emphasize the need for us to communicate to one another biblically through the scripture. The necessary content of that which we, sh- we should sing is biblical, specifically biblical. We're going to look at this in a little bit, but you notice that this is so important because Paul says this should be the result of being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get more to that later. But our singing should be psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, or our singing should be biblical content. Letter B, we should sing God's revelation. That's basically the same thing I just said, right? We should sing God's revelation. Sing of God's revelation. Colossians 3.16, we have this phrase, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, or dwell in you richly. What is the word of Christ? Is this referring to all of the words in red that you have in your gospels, the words that Jesus Christ said? Or is this more I was drawn to Luke 24, verse 44, as I was preparing, where Jesus says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Do you see the name Jesus specifically mentioned in the Old Testament? But Jesus says that he was the subject of the Old Testament that the writers were pointing toward, even if they did not know his name. The scripture is that which reveals the word of Christ to us. Hebrews 1, if you'd like to turn there, is a tremendous passage of scripture. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, the beginning of verse 3. This verse shows us that Jesus is the highest revelation that God has given to us. He has spoken through nature, he has spoken through the word of God, and he has spoken through Jesus Christ, his son. Look at Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke, Long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. We have Jesus Christ, the highest revelation, who is the radiance of God's glory and scripture speaks of him nature speaks of god's creative power and shows us something of what he is like or what he can do we have the word of god which is greater because how do you know god who is a spirit unless he chooses to reveal himself to you and the scriptures reveal to us who god is and what he is like and then we have jesus christ the highest revelation the scriptures speak of christ so sing of god's revelation for us and then let her see Sing in response to God's revelation. Sing in response to God's revelation. This might sound to you very, very simple, and it is. But let's remind ourselves of the simplicity of what we are called to do. John 4, 24 tells us that true worshipers will worship in spirit, lowercase s, spirit, and in truth. Truth is the object we sing And our spirits are what we use to respond to that truth. But what comes first? The truth or the feelings? What comes first? The truth comes first. We always need to live in in the tension or the balance of the truth and how we feel. 
Not just, I'm going to sing out today because I feel like singing. Not just, I'm going to sing out today because I like this passage of Scripture or I like that song. But God has revealed himself to us. He has given us the truth. And we have the tremendous opportunity to respond to him in light of what he has revealed. I had you turn to 2 Samuel 22 earlier. This is a perfect example of David saying, I will sing in response to the truth of how God has revealed himself. Throughout the song, David stated who God is, who God was, and what God had done. He gave objective truth. And then he follows with a subjective feeling, a subjective response. For this, because of this, I will praise you. This might seem silly to you, but grab a hymnal. Go ahead. Grab a hymnal. Open to the eighth hymn in our hymnal. We're going to sing this at the end. Praise to the Lord the Almighty is a great example of a hymn that speaks of a truth and calls us to a response. This great hymn by Joachim Neander, it's a great example of this type of worship. Just look at all of those different stanzas and notice a pattern that happens over and over and over again. Each stanza begins with an expression of praise for who God is. Praise to the Lord the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is your health and your salvation. And then a call for a subjective response. All you who hear, now to His temple draw near, join me in glad adoration. God reveals Himself. He gives us revelation. We love Him for it, and we respond appropriately. We'll sing that at the end of the service, or at least some of that. You can put your hymnal back. I might not ask you to grab it again, but for now you can put it back. We should sing God's revelation, and we should sing in response of God's revelation. That is a high calling, and I hope you love doing it. Then letter D, we should sing a new song. And this is not from Ephesians 5 or Colossians 3. But I'm struck at how many times in the Old Testament we are commanded to sing a new song of praise to God. Psalm 33, verse 3, especially. Psalm 33, 3, sing a a new song to God, play skillfully with a stringed instrument. Um, What does it mean to sing a new song? Does that mean every Sunday we need to compose new hymns, new songs? We do sing some new songs, but is, is that what the Scripture is calling us to do? I think the sense of this word new is more when you come together to give praise for however many hundredth or thousandth time you have done it. Make sure it is a fresh, sincere, and genuine expression of praise to the God who has revealed himself and you are responding to correctly. Sing a new song to God. For example... What did we do at the beginning of our service this morning? I made a couple jokes about the projectors. I made a joke about reading your bulletin. But then what did we do? We looked at the Word of God together as a body, right? We opened to to Hebrews 7, or you read on the screen, Hebrews 7, verses 22 through 28. What was the focus of that short passage of Scripture. Jesus Christ, 
the guarantor of the new covenant, the better covenant, who is our intercessor, our great high priest, our advocate. And then what did we do? We sang in response to God's revelation. We sang incredible phrases which reflect the truth of the word of God. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall what? Shall plead. We sang, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. We sang, I run to Christ when plagued by shame and find my one defense. So what is the one defense? I bore God's wrath. He pleads my case, my advocate and my friend. Did you pick up on all of that? Did you catch what we did this morning? A new song? You may have sung those songs and said, oh yeah, I like this song, this is great. Or you may have said, why do we always sing this song? I wish we could sing that song. I like that song better. Or you might have been completely oblivious thinking about lunch. But what we did was deliberate. And if you read those verses, if you are struck with fresh wonder about who Jesus Christ is and what he is doing for you right now as we worship, how can you not sing a new song of praise to God as a body? That's what we did this morning. I hope that was not lost on you. Those who are in awe at who God is and what God has done for you will never cease to give fresh new worship to him. Are you in awe at what God has revealed about himself? Do you have a new, fresh expression, a response to what he has done? Even if you've sung those songs a hundred times, they can be fresh when you re-sing them. We should sing biblical songs of God's revelation. We should respond in praise to God's revelation. And we should keep our songs new and fresh as we remain awestruck at the wonder of God. And then lastly, number three, how should we sing? And again, I'm not going to talk about musical preferences or styles. I'm not going to give you a long, drawn-out argument of why you should hold a microphone while you sing or not hold a microphone while you sing. That is not the point. How should we sing? I want to focus back in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, how the scripture says we should sing. Letter A, we should sing with the heart. We should sing with the heart. And, and every question and every answer we've given thus far at some point has included our heart. At some point has involved our affections. Worship should never be cold or, or sterile or just theological or just an action that we do. It needs to involve both our affections and our emotions. But I think sometimes in our Western way of thinking, we view those terms as synonymous. Affections are emotions and emotions are affections, but that's not the case. Affections is that which causes us to sing. It is the, the love and the response that we have in our heart to who God is and what he has done. We love God. It shapes the substance of what we sing. It shapes how we approach God as a singing body. Proper affections produce proper emotions. And I'm going somewhere with this, so, so stick with me. But it must start with affection, not emotion. I had you grab your hymnal earlier. Imagine this morning if, after I got done making the jokes about the projector, I started our worship like this. 
How's everybody doing this morning? First of all, you just said, where am I? That's not normal. Pastor Dan's over-caffeinated. And I said, who's ready to sing? Are you ready to sing, Fourth Baptist Church? Some of you would have said, no. I'm not ready to sing. That's what you have for me? You're going to appeal to my feelings, Pastor Dan? You're going to appeal to my emotions? Are you ready to sing? I was up all night with my infant. Or I don't feel very well right now. Or I'm dreading a conversation that I have to have later. Or I'm dreading the prognosis of the doctor's report. That's the basis of why I sing? Are you kidding me? There's got to be something more than that. Praise my soul. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Why do we sing? Not because of our feelings or our emotions. We sing in response to what God has done for us because we love him, we adore him, our affections are toward him, and we give him our song whether we feel like it or not. It's not about how we feel. If it's about how we feel, here's what we fall into doing. Read Isaiah 29, verse 13. Read Hosea 6, 6. God rebukes his people. He says, they draw near to me with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me and their reverence for me consists of tradition. They just showed up and did what they were supposed to do, but their hearts were far from me. They have no affection for me, even though their emotion was strong. Hosea 6, 6, for I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The Lord rejected Israel's worship because their heart was not in it. It was more than emotion. Their affection was not there. Before we started the service this morning, where was your heart? Where was your affection? The scriptures that we read earlier make it clear we are to sing from our hearts, sing with our hearts. Where is your heart? Were you prepared this morning to worship? Did you spend time in the Word of God this week preparing your heart to worship? What about this? Did you call the office on Friday and say, hey, what's the message about? What songs are we singing? What scriptures are we reading? I want to prepare my heart to adore the God who has revealed himself to me. Do we do that? Or do we just show up? And I feel like it today, so I'm going to let loose. Or I don't really feel like it today, or I don't like this song. It's so much more than our feelings, beloved. It is so much more than our emotions. It is affection. That is the heart. Singing from our hearts because our heads understand what we're singing about because God has revealed himself to us and we can graciously respond to him. Affection leads to proper emotion. It starts with the heart. Is your, cold, is your worship cold? Is it sterile? Check your heart. Are you more concerned about the style and more concerned about the songs we're not singing or we are singing? Check your heart. Love God. May your heart be moved an affection toward him. One of the characteristics of a heart that is truly aligned in its affections towards God is thankfulness. And I could have made this another sub-point for us, but if you look at Ephesians 5.20 and Colossians 3, the end of verse 16, 
Paul makes sure he connects thanksgiving with the heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is following those, those participles that are the result of being spirit-filled. Colossians 3, with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks, he says it twice. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Following those, those participles of means, which is the result of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Thankfulness needs to drive your worship. Are you thankful this morning? I know that's a, a silly question which everyone's going to answer yes to. But truly, are you thankful this morning? Or are you entitled? We need to do it this way. We need to do it that way. We need to do it the way I want to do it. Or the way so-and-so used to do it. Thankfulness eliminates all of that. And it focuses on love for God and a proper emotive response to the truth of God's word. And that is so sincere. And I'm so thankful for many of you who I can tell that is happening in their hearts as we sing congregationally. Again, those who are amazed at the wonder of what God has done will never cease to give thanks and will never become entitled to what God has given them. Sing with the heart. And then lastly, we should sing with the Spirit, and that's capital S, Spirit. Not to be confused from John 4.24, which was the lowercase spirit. But in Ephesians 5, verse 18, you, you see at the beginning of a verse, the verse something that you might not expect in a, in, a, in a verse that is where Pastor Dan is going with singing. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to God. This is not the filling of the Spirit, the Spirit indwelling that happens upon salvation, just to make sure we're not confused here. This is not Paul talking to unbelievers who need to become believers and have the Spirit indwell them. This is a different thing. He's talking to believers. He's giving them a command to actively pursue. Pursue the filling of the Spirit. Well, that leads to more questions. What does the filling of the Spirit look like? Is this a passive filling where I just kind of let go and hope the Spirit picks me up and fills me? It's not that. Is this a charismatic experience where we, we do something a certain way and eventually the Spirit takes over and produces on us extraordinary affections or emotions? No, it's not that. I think it's much simpler than that. Look again at the language of verse 18. Do not be drunk, which is debauchery or dissipation. What comes first, the debauchery or the drunkenness? What comes first? The drunkenness. Look at the next line. Be filled with the Spirit which produces psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Which comes first, the spiritual songs or the filling of the Spirit? The filling of the Spirit is that which should come first. Spirit filling does not come because of singing. It comes first, and singing is the response to spirit filling, is the argument Paul is making here. 
If you were to look at Ephesians 5, particularly verses 15 through 20, side by side with Colossians 3, 12 through 16, you'd notice they're very, very similar passages. But there's one thing that stands out as very different in those passages. In Ephesians 5, we, we see, be filled with the Spirit, which then results in speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In Colossians 3.16, we see, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, which then leads to wisdom, teaching, and admonishing through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I would argue that to be spirit-filled is simply to be controlled and obedient to the word of God. A regular consumption of the word of God, your focus is on the word of God, is that which fills you with the spirit. And this is informative for us because the spirit will always lead us to be submissive and obedient to the word of God. It will always lead to that. The controlling, the filling is always for a specific purpose. To translate that to what we do on Sunday morning, I hope you understand why we read so much scripture in our services. Because I want the scripture to dwell in our hearts. I want us to be filled with the spirit through the scripture, not through our feelings, not through the song selection, not through the style, but through the word of God. In fact, we should probably read more scripture Some of you look shocked at that statement. But you cannot separate worshipful singing from the word of God. You cannot separate true worship from submission to the word of God. You cannot separate true worship from a heart of affection from God, which drives proper emotions and thankfulness. The most biblical of worship is that which is in response to the word of God through the filling of the spirit. It's the consumption of the word of God and obedience to the word of God, which produces spirit-filled believers who will respond with singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with their heart with thankfulness. So why, what, and how? May God give us grace to worship him well in song. Father, thank you again for the opportunity that we have this morning to draw near to you through Christ, our great high priest, to sing through the filling of the Spirit as our minds are focused on the Word of Christ, to give you sincere praise through love and affection. Lord, I pray that we would not take these times of singing to one another for granted. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.